God's word this morning from John chapter 5, focusing particularly on the last two verses of the chapter, verse 36 to 37, and to read to you those verses again. These words from the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, I think, we're not so fired up about our relationship with Jesus Christ because we don't fully comprehend the magnitude of what it is that he has done for us. Sometimes, I think, we don't read the Bible for all it's worth because we don't completely grasp the incredible gift that is salvation through Jesus Christ. I mean, it was just a couple of weeks ago that we celebrated Good Friday and Easter. That's huge. You just heard the announcement, next week, Sunday, the Lord willing, you hope to celebrate the Lord's Supper. What that Lord's Supper signifies, that's huge. Allow me to illustrate the point. We just read John chapter 5. The first part of the chapter, some guy gets healed. He couldn't walk before. Along comes Jesus. Jesus says, get up and walk. What does he do? He gets up and he walks. No big deal. No big deal, you say? But seriously, I mean, really. So he couldn't walk before, now he can. That's not too much of a big deal. In the general scheme of Christ's work, healing this one cripple isn't so much of a huge event. Now you're sitting there maybe wondering, well, what on earth is this guy saying? Of course it's a big deal. I mean, you say, we all know someone who can't walk, who is confined to a wheelchair. If all of a sudden that person could get up out of that wheelchair, put it away and never have to use it again, That's huge, like really huge. And we'd be excited and so would they and rightly so. As a a sinner, you, I, we're dead. In Christ, you, I, are no longer dead but rather are alive that brothers and sisters is a big deal that's huge and that's the message of scripture that's what Jesus Christ is all about are you excited about that do you see what an incredible gift salvation is an even more basic question 
continue God's word this morning from John chapter 5, focusing in particular on the closing verses, verse 46 to 47. Our theme this morning is this. By healing a man unable to walk, Jesus Christ calls on the Jews to believe. We will consider that we are called to believe in Jesus Christ on the basis of, in the first place, what Moses wrote, and secondly, what Jesus said. So first of all, we're called to believe in Jesus Christ by what Moses wrote. To understand the place and the importance of these two verses of our text, it's necessary, brothers and sisters, to come to grips with the structure of the chapter as a whole. And if you have your Bibles handy, it may be helpful just to follow along with me. In John chapter 5, everything begins with our Savior healing the man who for 38 years had been waiting for an opportunity to get into the pool of Bethesda in order to be healed. That's the first part of the chapter. In verses 16 through 18, the Jews are upset because Jesus performed the healing on the Sabbath day. But even more importantly, because the last part of verse 18, because he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19 to the end of the chapter is our Saviour's extensive response to their accusations. In verses 19 through 23, Jesus wants them to know that he is not a lone agent. He and the Father are working together as one. In terms of life-giving power, in terms of judgment, in terms of honour, he and the Father are one. That's verses 19 through 23. In verses 24 through 30, Jesus makes it clear that the oneness of the Father and the Son means that He, God the Son, has the power to grant eternal life. Jesus, knowing that the Jews would not believe Him just on the basis of His own testimony, goes on in verses 31 through 39 to explain that not only John the Baptist bore witness to Him, to Jesus Christ, But even more importantly, his Father in heaven bears witness to him. To say Jesus in verse 36, you can see it there, the second part of the verse, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, including, of course, the healing of that cripple, and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. In other words, what I'm doing here on earth, says Jesus, proves, it proves that I am the Son of God, that God the Father and I are one. And then at this point, Jesus wants to point the Jews to the reason why they are so blind to who he really is. That's verses 39 and 40. There, Jesus is saying that even though they study the Scriptures diligently, they totally miss the fact that the whole of Scriptures point to Jesus Christ. They miss it because they refuse to believe, says Jesus. Verse 40, Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And they refuse to come to have life because, verses 41 through 44, they do not have the love of God in their hearts, and that's because they are much more interested in the praise of others, verse 44, than being interested in the praise that comes from God. 
And then Jesus really drives the point home. It's hard-hitting, this is. But at the same time, it's a call from a loving Savior who wants his people's eyes to be open to the truth. Verse 45, just prior to our text, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. In other words, the very Moses whom they held in such high esteem, it's his words and the words of Scripture that by the inspiration of the Spirit were written, the true meaning of which these Jews fail to see, it's those words themselves that will ultimately condemn the Jews because they don't believe in the Savior to whom the words of Moses point. And then comes our text. Here in our text, brothers and sisters, we see both warning and we see appeal. What Jesus wants to say here is this. There is a direct connection, a clear line between Moses, whom you hold in such high regard, and me. If you believe Moses, then you will believe me. And then and only then will you have life. Then and only then will you, who are lame, spiritually unable to walk, only then will you be made alive. Until then, the real life-giving significance of that miracle will be lost on you. The long and short of it is this, and generally speaking, of course, the Jews of that day, they read their Bibles, they studied their Bibles, but they refused to believe that their Bibles pointed to Christ, and so they remained dead in their sins. Therein was the, pr the problem for the Jews of Jesus' day. Said Jesus, first words of our text, if you believed in Moses, the tragedy of it is that they thought they did. That's what Jesus was saying in verse 39. Have a look if you've got your Bibles handy at verse 39. Jesus is saying, you diligently study the scriptures. But here's the catch. You study them, goes on verse 39, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Now we read that and we say, well, what's wrong with that? Isn't that exactly what we are so often encouraged to do? Study the scriptures. God works faith through the word, right? But think about this. It's possible, brothers and sisters, to be a biblical scholar, know the Bible inside out, back to front, top to bottom, and still be unbelieving. There are more modern-day biblical scholars who fall into that category than you might care to think about. They make their living studying the Bible and issues, for example, of biblical archaeology, but they do not believe what they study. That was the problem for the Jews of Jesus' day too. The word translated in our Bibles in verse 39 as diligently, they study the Scriptures diligently. That word speaks of a very careful, a meticulous study. The sort of meticulousness, if that's a word, that was required by those who originally copied the Bible, letter by letter, word for word, they had to get it exactly right. 
to the Jew of Jesus' day to know the words of Moses by heart, to be able to recite the scriptures in Hebrew from memory. See, that was something. And they believed that by that sort of activity, that by that sort of dedication to the letters on the page of the Bible, they would obtain eternal life. They, you could say, they idolized the writing of the Word. Let's illustrate. Hillel, one of the greatest rabbis of that time, he wrote four Torah. Torah is a word that refers to the five books of Moses. More Torah, more life. He went on to say, Whoso has gained a good name has gained it for himself. Whoso has gained the words of Torah has gained for himself life in the world to come. See, they had their noses in their Bibles. They memorized it. They adored it. They could quote verses and chapters by heart, but they didn't understand its real message. So Jesus says to them in our text again, if you believed Moses, you wouldn't believe me. Now Jesus here chooses to use the word believe is very, very significant. The fact is that that word is used by Jesus four times in the two verses of our text and another three times in the rest of the chapter. Jesus does not say, notice that, Jesus does not say, if you've read Moses, you would believe me. No, says Jesus, if you believe Moses. There's a big difference, obviously. That verb to believe is the word faith as a noun. That's the problem that Jesus Christ identified. They did not have faith in what Moses wrote. They did not get beyond the letters on the page to see that those letters and words on the page had life-giving significance. I read this example, which I've changed to maybe suit a location that you're familiar with. Maybe you've heard about that new 71-story tower that they're thinking of building in downtown Edmonton. It's called the Edmontonian. 71 stories, 278 meters in length. That's the plan. Now imagine that once that building is built, you get to go up onto the 71st floor and look out as a visitor, look out of those massive windows. You stand there and you're taking a look out over the city. And then as you're standing there looking out of those windows, imagine someone else comes up behind you and says to you while you're enjoying the view, that person comes up behind you and says, wow, take a look at that window, will you? That window is so flat and so smooth, and, and look how it's held in place, that engineering, that's just incredible. Well, if that happened, you'd look at that person kind of weird-like and say, which planet did you come from? Man, the point of the window is not the window, but the view that it allows you to see. And brothers and sisters, it's like that with the Bible. Yes, we need to read it, we need to study it, we need to know it. But unless we see and believe what the Bible is teaching us, then all that Bible study can't end up being helpful. And that's where the Jews of Jesus' day were stuck. He said, Jesus, verse 46 again, I quote, if you believed Moses, you would believe. 
they study, they study some more. They studied and studied what Moses wrote, but they did not believe it. They kept looking at the window and not the view it was designed to show them. The point of the books of Moses, the point of all of scriptures is Christ. Philip from chapter 1 of John's gospel, do you remember what he said? He said this to Nathaniel in verse 45. He said, we have found, listen carefully, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, he looked through the window of scripture and he saw and he believed in Christ. Again, we too, we need to study scripture. We need to dig into it. By the guidance of God's spirit, we too need to mine its depths for all it's worth. But always, brothers and sisters, with a view to what our Father has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's true for the Old Testament too. In our day and age, it's so easy to gravitate towards the New Testament. Christ has come. The New Testament focuses on the age in which we live. That's true. But we will not, to quote Ephesians 2 verse 18, we will not grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is without also knowing the Old Testament. See, all of Scripture, Old Testament too, points to Him. To illustrate, think about this. The final plague of Egypt. God's people, we know, just as unworthy of being saved as, as the Egyptians. The Israelites too, by rights, deserve to have their firstborn killed by that destroying hand. There was nothing better about them, nothing. And yet if they spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their house, God spared their firstborn son from death. He did so, we know, because that blood pointed forward to the blood of the Lamb on the cross. Really? Did God love His people, even though they were just as despicable and sinful? Did He love them that much? That much? That already in the Old Testament, He was sparing His people by giving up his one and only son? Does he love his people that much? Yes, he does. See, that story way back in the Old Testament points to Christ. And you're saying, yeah, that was an easy one. That's an obvious one, John. But maybe you're thinking, well, what about that obscure chapter from Ezra, which lists one by one the names of the families of the returned exiles. Does that point to Christ? It does, brothers and sisters. It does. God's love for his people extends down to the individual. 
every one of those returned individuals belonged to the God of heaven and earth. He brought them back to the promised land. He brought them back because he had bought them with the precious blood of his son. God loved them individually, those returned exiles. Did he love them individually so much that he would send his son to suffer the horrible death of the cross? Did he love them that much? Yes, he did. We see that obscured capital Ezra here too points to and the rest of Scripture's authors wrote, we will not see Christ. Two practical implications for us. The first one is authentic. Look at this. Read, study Scripture. And not, brothers and sisters, so that you can just tick it off and say, tick, I did my personal devotions today or tick I went to a Bible study this morning read study pray pray that the spirit shows you Christ in scripture related to that we might in fact brothers and sisters have the opposite problem of the Jews and Christians today to them you'd be able to say Genesis 26 what's that chapter about they wouldn't tell you what it was about. They'd recite the whole thing word perfect. Maybe one or two of us here can do that. I doubt it. I certainly can't. We can perhaps know that Genesis 1 is about creation. If we could ask about Genesis 2, we'd say creation of Adam and Eve, for example. Genesis 3, we're still going strong. We'd say that's the fall into sin. Genesis 4, We'd know that that's Cain and Abel. We get to Genesis 5 and most of us would say, um, I don't know. See, brothers and sisters, we might have the opposite problem. We need to be more at home in Scripture, spend more time at that window so that we see the Christ. also very important. The 
is this, and please try and follow me. If we're struggling with something in our lives, we often go to Scripture for guidance and instruction and comfort, so we should. But what is it that we often try to do? What we often try to do is find Scripture that speaks directly to our situation. Let me put it this way. We take our situation or we take our problem to Scripture and draw a direct line from Scripture back to our situation. For example, we need comfort and so we turn to the Psalms. And that's all fine and good. But rather than go to Scripture with your problem or situation, allow God, follow me here, allow God through the Scripture to come to you in your situation. I mean this, one day we're feeling one way and we go to that passage. Another day we're feeling a different way and so we go to a different passage. And see, what we're trying to do then is draw lines directly from Scripture to our lives. But the problem there is that we're missing an essential step or link. We often then miss Christ. If all of Scripture points to Him, and it does, then it's only, brothers and sisters, via Him and what He has done for us that Scripture also speaks to our particular situation. Scripture, for example, a whole prophecy at a time over a, number, over a number of days. Read the Gospels over a period of weeks. The letters of Paul, for example, a couple of chapters a day. See, doing that shows us that all of Scripture points us to what the Father has done for us in Christ. See, and if we see that, if we read Scripture like that, and see how all of it is pointing us to Christ, then what are we left with? We're left with this. My God has done all of that. He loves me that much. And when we understand that, believe that in faith, then we also receive the comfort and encouragement Also connects, notice that, what Moses wrote to what he, Jesus,
his sight understand the significance of that. Jesus speaks more. Jesus is the word. The first verses of John's gospel, 1 through 4 of chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, in the word, was life. And that life was the light of men. And verse 14 of the same chapter, the word, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Moses wrote, but Jesus speaks as the word sent from God. See, in Christ, his son, whom God the Father sent to this earth, God the Father completely and beautifully and graciously and wonderfully expresses his thoughts of salvation and peace for his children. That means that if we believe that what Moses wrote points us to Christ, then when we hear Christ speak, we will hear words that bring us life. Every word, the word uttered while he was here on this earth, every word he utters through his word, the Bible, points us to what he's done on the cross of Calvary, points us to the victory of Jesus that he gave. Conversely, say this to all students if we do not believe what Moses wrote if we do not believe what is written in scripture then when we hear what Christ utters we will remain deaf to the gospel of life the Jews in Jesus day believed that Jesus could offer them death and gospel. And as verses 41 through 44 point out, that's because they were more interested in what other people thought of them than what God thought of them. Verse 42 says, Jesus of them, you do not have the love of God in your heart. See, their sin made them deaf to the gospel of life. That's why the Jews in Jesus' day, generally speaking, did this. Upon seeing a man healed, after 38 years of being unable to walk, they hardly even noticed the miracle and started picking on the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They probably would have been able to quote Isaiah 35 verse 6 from memory, but they didn't understand its significance. That verse says, speaking about the future glory of the coming Messiah, it says, Then will the lame leap like a deer. And there before them was a man who was lame, but was no longer lame, but leaping like a deer. But they didn't see Christ. They didn't hear his word. That is our terribly destructive sin nature. Sin 
makes one unable to believe the words of life that come from the word of life. Maybe you recall the hard-hitting words of our Savior in Luke chapter 16 in the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, remember, boys and girls, you probably remember this story. The rich man, he lived in unrepentance. He called out his father Abraham from the depths of hell and said, Send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Says Abraham in reply, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And Abraham added, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone raises from the dead. And life by the guidance of the Spirit can be painful. Sometimes I think we struggle with being convinced. Not just convinced that Christ died for my personal sins or for the preservation of my life. But we also struggle at times with being convinced that God is indeed present and active in our lives. We struggle with believing Christ. Why do we struggle with that? At times, brothers and sisters, we might even struggle and think that our sin gets in the way of believing. Our sin gets in the way of being fully convinced of God's activity and presence in our lives. Let me explain what I mean by our sin gets in the way. We come, for example, to our personal devotions. We come to our Bible study, holding on, though, to a particular area of sinfulness in our lives. We come to the Bible but not totally ready to surrender to Christ and His work. For example, we come to Scripture, searching for answers to our given, a given difficult situation. But sometimes, like the Jews of Jesus' day, we're not willing to submit to God's way for our lives. We hold back, unable, unwilling to yield completely to Him, unable to believe and do and say, Lord, Lord, if that's what you in your wisdom require of me, then that's what I'll do by the power of your Spirit. See, sometimes we hold back. We're unable to entrust ourselves completely and fully to Him. We're somehow thinking that our wisdom in a given situation trumps His. this in Proverbs 28 and verse 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to the Lord, even his prayers are detestable. Makes sense, right? If we are unwilling to submit fully to his word, our prayers to him are useless. Or to put it this way, we cannot expect God to bless us if we reject his 
let's stand and sing together from Psalm 36 to 40. 